Well, good morning, Calvary family. We're happy to be here today with you and uh, excited to uh, be back. I, mean, I, I don't know about you, I like church. I mean, I, I, mean, I realize I, yeah, I'm, glad you, I'm glad that got an amen. Uh, I like church. I, I enjoy coming. I mean, I've, I'm one of those church kids that, uh, I mean, I remember when I was seven years old walking through our school gymnasium. Our, our, um, my, the church I grew up in bought an old elementary school. It's one of those L-shaped city schools. They'd close it down, and our church bought it. We, we, did stuff, we did stuff in the 80s with churches that you couldn't do uh, today. Our children's ministry met in the school, and then the main adult campus was three miles away. So parents would drop their kids off and then leave. And at the end of, at the end of service... We would all line up down the, the east wing of the, the, the school, and uh, an old a guy named Roscoe Brown, we called him Brownie, uh, he would, he's about, about that tall, and so he worked great with kids. He, was at, he did maintenance, janitor stuff, but he would stand there with a megaphone as your parents would pull up, and he'd just say, click, kids, your parents are here. Can you imagine doing that today? Can you imagine doing the securities with the, all of this? Could you, could you imagine children's ministry not being on campus here? No, no. It'd be like us having kids' ministry at Brick, you know? We're to, we're to be at the VFW down the street. And then, so, anyways. But, you know, I, I remember when I was seven years old walking through church. I'm a, I'm a church kid. I mean, it's, it, I don't have that testimony of I strayed from God. And, it's, and I love to hear those testimonies. But I, I, I've been in church my whole life. I've been in church my whole life, and I remember being seven years old, walking through a gymnasium and going, man, wouldn't it be cool to come here every day? And I think that was the beginning of God birthing that call in me. So I, I love church. I hope you love coming to church, too. Uh, I hope your kids love coming to church. I hope your, your family, your teenagers love coming to church. That's why, uh, you know, I grew, up in a ch- I grew up in a church that our church was the first church in the state of Ohio for the Assemblies of God. So the, district Ohio, uh, the Assemblies of God district in Ohio was the first church in the district to hire a children's pastor. We d- and we did it in 1984. And so back then, the trend was normally to hire a youth pastor, and then children's pastor was really of an unheard of position in 1984. And that's one of the big things that helped our church so enormously was the, the fact that our senior pastor, was, he was a great, great man, Alan T. Ross. His middle name was Theophilus. Uh, and so his, his first name, Alan, is my middle name. I'm not, so my, Spencer Allen Click is after him. That's how much of a church kid I am. Uh, the middle name of my, my senior pastor's name is in my name. Uh, but he was so, uh, so progressive in his thinking that if we don't reach kids, uh, we're going to lose them. And, so, and, he, and part of that was because of uh, the experience he had with his own kids. Uh, his, his, his own son was not serving the Lord, and uh, the church is, he spent years as an evangelist, and he lost he felt as though he had lost his son. That's why we talk about the importance of children's ministry and family ministry, youth ministries, because we want to keep a generation. And so I hope your kids love church, and uh, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that they continue to grow loving church. And I want you to love church. I want you to be so excited about, I mean, I, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I did watch I did watch the live stream. I didn't make it on Sunday. I watched, I watched the live stream. I, I enjoyed because listen, uh, I'm, I'm a pastor, but I need to be fed too. I need to be fed too. And so the week-to-week is a wonderful thing. The Wednesday nights, I encourage you to join us on Wednesday nights because uh, right now we're finishing up. We've got three weeks left um, on our Living in the Spirit series. And the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And so I'd love to have you join us on Wednesday nights. We've got kids programs. We've got youth ministry going on. So I'd love to have you there. But listen, being here, 
I, I just, I get refreshed. I get refreshed. Because how many of you know the weak can wear on you? Whew, man, you can have a heart. We had, you know, the end of this week did not finish as well as the, the beginning of the week started. We had a lot of fun the beginning of the week. The end of the week, not so much. But, you know, this morning, just standing here during worship, man, God's presence refreshes us. I hope you get that same, that same touch, that same feeling. I, I love Sundays. I love Wednesdays. I love worship. And so hopefully uh, you do that same thing when you come in your part. And so, yeah, I, I, I know that sometimes we get in those ruts, we get in those, those, those routines. And so let me encourage you, uh, break out of the routine. You know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Now, how many of you, we, we talked about this being a no-slump summer, the no-slump summer. You remember what I asked you to do? Call the people that sit near you that aren't here right now. How many of you called somebody? Don't, 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 you don't have to raise your hand. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand. But let me encourage you. This summer, if people sometimes just disappear, don't they? Ah, oh, you know, I was down at the lake. I was, and we understand. They came. I wasn't here last week. Vacation. We do that, right? But sometimes it's easy to get into a quick routine, isn't it? Yeah. Ah, you know, I enjoyed sleeping in. We don't, our church doesn't start till 10 o'clock in the morning, really. It's not, we're, we're not that early. If you're not up by 10, you're probably 17. And so... Uh, <laughs> I can't stay in bed that long. <laughs> uh, but let me encourage you, call your friends that aren't here, that, that maybe they've, they've taken a little break. Uh, we want people to uh, join us. And so uh, we want to enjoy what God's doing. And I think God's preparing us for great stuff. I think God is preparing us. The, the sermon title, Forward, it's intentional because that's the direction God's moving us. God's moving us forward. We're not going backwards. We're not going backwards. And actually today we're starting the fourth week of uh, forward, and we're still in the third chapter. <laughs> so we're, we're not going fast. But for those of you that haven't been with us each week, let me give you a quick rundown of what we've covered at this point. Uh, and let me also remind you, if you miss a Sunday, you can always watch it on Facebook, the, the, the video. We, we live stream to Facebook. Good morning. Thanks for joining us today, all those watching us on Facebook. Typically, we have you know, between 750 and 1,000 views uh, online. It doesn't mean we don't have that many. It's not that they're watching the whole service, but through the time, we have people that are they're catching pieces of the service. And I just see that as people being having seeds planted. But let me encourage you, if you miss, uh, you can always catch it uh, on Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, I've got good news for you. We're about 98% of the way done with our new website. And uh, that should be done by the end of July, that we'll be able to push it out there to make it easier for online giving, to watch sermon archives, uh, to get more information. And so uh, you can always watch it that way. And so I, I hope you do if you don't make it here. Now, in our first week, we answered the question, what do you do when the walls are down? And as we see, uh, Nehemiah, he, he prayed. What did he do? First, he prayed. He grieved. He fasted. He prayed to God. And when he prayed, he did four very specific things. He interceded for others. He repented, he remembered God's promises, and asked for God's blessings. And we were reminded that God wants to do a work in us before he does a work through us. And I don't want to repeat, I could preach that message every week. Honestly, I could preach that message every week. It's such a powerful point. Uh, but I don't want to do that. Now, in our second week, uh, we talked about what do you do when you need a breakthrough? Nehemiah needed a breakthrough. He needed uh, to rebuild the wall that was down around Jerusalem. And in our own lives, just as with Nehemiah, we were reminded that the success Nehemiah experienced came from God, came from God's gracious hand, and that the breakthrough you need in life is found in God. 
The breakthrough you need in life is found in God. And in our efforts to move forward, we can never lose sight of the fact that God goes before us. God goes before us in all things. Now, the second half of Nehemiah 2 uh, answered this question. What do you do when it's time to move? Nehemiah had the vision. He was going to Jerusalem. And so we saw what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah protected the vision that God gave him. He protected the vision for the path forward in his lives. And we have to do the same thing in our own lives as we move forward, as God calls us into new times, new seasons, new, new areas. We have to protect the vision. And what did Nehemiah do to protect the vision? First thing he did, don't rush it. Let God develop it. Let God develop. The second thing, make sure God's in it. We get good ideas. That just because just it's a good idea doesn't mean it's a God idea. And then the third thing that he did was he counted the cost. He went around the city and looked. This is a big task. This is what God's calling us to do. What's it going to take to do it? He counted the cost. And last week, Pastor Joe gave us a good recap of Nehemiah 1 and 2, and then he gave us a, a good nugget of wisdom from the chapter 3 of Nehemiah. And I think the thing I appreciated the most I, I, from Pastor Joe's message last week, I don't, I don't know about you, I like listening to Pastor Joe talk. He's just like, he's a calming person, isn't he? Just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's not smooth. I mean, he's smooth. He's slick, right? But he's just, he's just a calming presence. Joe is just a, he's a calming presence. And listening to him, I'd like to listen to him read books on tape. I think that'd be fun. I think, I think that'd be fun. But the last thing that, that, that Pastor Joe shared last week, he said that God specializes in moving believers out of their comfort zone. And he talked about three areas that we need to move out of our comfort zone. He talked about witnessing, giving, and in serving. And, you know, really, the book of Nehemiah does show how people respond to being pressed. Because the people of Israel were being pressed when Nehemiah came. The book of Nehemiah is the introduction of an enormous vision to a group of people who have been beaten, enslaved, downtrodden, oppressed, and repeatedly defeated. And because of the constant fights and the perpetual turmoil in Israel, people had developed an opinion about the nation of Israel. Uh, Sambalot's question in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse uh, 1, you don't have to turn there, verse 2, verse two. it tells the opinion of the world about the Jews. Here's what it says. What are those feeble Jews doing? What are those feeble Jews? Jews doing. You know, if you get beaten enough, eventually you just start expecting to be beaten. It's kind of like my brother playing me in racquetball. 75 games that we've played. I kept track. This is what little brothers do. Uh, 75 games that we've played, he has never won one. Racquetball is one of the few sports I'm actually good at. Uh, and so, uh, but it's like, it's kind of like being the Washington Generals. Anybody know the name Washington Generals? Maybe you don't know who the Washington Generals are. They have an impressive losing streak in professional basketball. Actually, in their nearly 30 year history, they only have one recorded win. Does the team ring any bells, the name of the Washington Generals? No? Well, they're, they're, the, uh, they're the perpetual opponents of the Harlem Globetrotters. 
And so when the Washington generals come out on the court, what do you know? The Globetrotters are going to win, don't you, right? Now, they say they play competitive basketball, uh, but when I say the Harlem Globetrotters, you're like, oh, those guys, the losing team. We look at it, and they they say, well, when they come out the court, you know who's going to win. It's going to be the Globetrotters. The generals are just there to lose, and that's a lot like how people looked at the nation of Israel. They were just the feeble Jews. They weren't there to be victorious. People saw the nation of Israel as defeated. And I think as we look at them rebuilding the wall, we will see that within the nation of Israel, some people seem to see themselves that way as well. You know, the amount of work to, re- to rebuild the wall was enormous. And I don't know if we've defined it. Pastor Joe shared that there were there 42 sections uh, of, to be repaired on that wall. 42 sections of the wall to be repaired. And it was repaired by 41 groups. And as was shared last week, the wall was eight feet thick. Some sections of the wall were 250 feet in length. Some were 1,500 feet in length. They enclosed 90 acres. Think about that, 90 acres. It, it, it takes, you know, it's about uh, five times the size of our campus. And essentially that team of builders finished a wall that was two miles long. Two miles of eight-foot-thick stone walls. What a huge task. By a group of people that the world thought were losers. You know, when you've been beaten a lot, when you have been downtrodden, when you haven't been successful, you can start thinking of yourself the way other people do too. Ah, they're just not going to be successful. They're not going to do it. They're going to try and fail again. And when you, when you read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it looks just like a list of things to be, that was completed. But I really believe that there's a lot of vital lessons in Nehemiah chapter 3. Have you ever read through the books, the Bible, and you, you come up like this is a big long list of stuff, and you're like, what in the world is that for? And then you find out the genealogy of Jesus and all the people mentioned into it. And this Nehemiah chapter 3 is kind of like that. There's lessons in here that I think are applicable to our lives. And so open with me to Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, because a lot of it is just the recounting of the work that was done. Uh, And I think we can understand that uh, some of it is just regular description of stuff. But I, I know, I know that there are lessons that God has for us in here. And I think one of the things that we can do with the people of Israel at this point is that at some point in our lives, we have felt defeated. At some point in our lives, we have felt like the Washington generals. Oh boy, the hits keep coming again and again. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. I'm sure that many of us have felt like that. And so today, the question that we're asking today is, what do you do when you're beaten? What do you do when you're beaten? In the text, we're going to see the restoration of ten gates and two miles of wall. What an amazing work. And the first time I read through Nehemiah chapter 3, I kind of went, well, there's not much really to talk about there. 
But then this week, I really felt like uh, God shared some nuggets. I was planning on preaching on Nehemiah chapter 4 this week, actually. And uh, God interrupted that plan so that we could pull some stuff out of chapter 3. So in Nehemiah chapter 3, let's take a look at that. Now, again, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but pick out some highlights of it. In in the NIV, in chapter 3, verse 1, here's what it says. It says, Elishab... The high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of the Hanel. You know, in that first verse, there's a lesson for us. I think it's an important lesson. It's a lesson that actually becomes more obvious when you read it in a different translation. In the NIV, it says they dedicated it. In the English Standard Version, or ESV, it says they consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred. They consecrated the work. Now, consecrated in this verse means that they set it apart for God. They weren't just doing work. They were doing work for God. They set it apart. That's what consecrated means. It means it's set apart for the Lord. Here's the high priest, the spiritual head for the city. He's the first one we read about in doing the work. He's the first one. The first individual we see begin the work. Here is the spiritual leader of his city, and in his work, what does he do? We see him begin by setting it apart to God. Setting apart. It's a great thing to keep in mind when we feel defeated and beaten. The rebuilding is always spiritual first. The hurts, the scars that we have felt from being beaten, defeated. Oftentimes they can only be fixed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. What did the high priest do? He consecrated the work. He set it apart to God. He gave it to God. There was physical work to be accomplished, but there's a reason that we see the high priest's work first and his consecration to God first in this list of works. It's so that we'll always keep perspective that on any effort we make, we have to start with God working in our lives. It has to start in us. We, we have to participate alongside the work that he begins. Now, it may seem like a repeat of what we talked about a month ago, and it is. It is a repeat of what we talked about a month ago, that God wants to do a work in us before he does a work through us. But here it is. It's coming from what Nehemiah wrote down here. And Nehemiah felt that it was important enough that we needed to have it repeated. I think we quickly forget that it's not our own efforts. It's so easy for us to forget that, isn't it? How many of you, you know, we read that if you have the, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain. But many of us try and push the mountain out of the way. We try and climb over the mountain. We start looking for dynamite to blow it up. We look for everything that we do. I, th- I think we have to understand that we always must keep God first in the work. It's repeated here 
so that we can remember it's not just about our own efforts. I think if you, uh, you want to do something great, if you want to do something small, I think if you want to do something successful, we always have to remember God comes first. God starts the work. He who begins the work, right? I was in the men's Bible group, uh, Bible study group on Sunday or Friday night. And if you didn't realize that, we actually have a men's Bible study. It meets at 7 p.m. over in the Joy Center. Uh, it's open to anybody who'd like to come. It's a, it's a wonderful group. Uh, have, it's set, you know, 7 to 8.30-ish. And so uh, Friday nights over in the uh, Joy Center, love to have you come and be a part of it. But I was over there Friday night uh, talking to the men, and uh, one of the gentlemen was sharing that they had been looking for a set of keys for a couple of days. Couldn't find them anywhere. They looked everywhere, and then they looked everywhere again. They looked, 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 looked. Have, you ever had that moment? Uh, I hate losing things. Oh, man. I, hate, I always assume somebody stole it. It's never my fault, okay? And you, and you're like, that. if I lose something, or Bennett put it away. That was a, a fun time when Heather and I first got married. Um, for me, any flat surface is a place to store stuff. Uh, for Heather, everything has a home. And so I would, it's stuff, if I use it every day, it doesn't need to go in a drawer, right? I, if I, I'm going to use the keys every day. They can sit on the counter. They're going to go back in my pocket in just a few hours. Uh, but there are times I'm looking for stuff. I'm looking, and husbands and wives are like nudging each other right now going, yeah, see, it's not just you. Yeah. I'm not saying which one of us is right. It's me, but it's okay. And so uh, as we're going through, I'm coming, I'm like, honey, have you seen this? And she goes, well, I put it in a drawer. I'm like, why would you put it away? I assume somebody takes it. I assume somebody, it was probably Heather. But this gentleman was sharing on Friday night that they finally, him and his wife, paused to pray. Where are the keys? Where are the keys? And they went back and looked again, and they found them in a place they had checked multiple, multiple times. God wants to be in the big things. God wants to be in the little thing. God wants to be in all things. But how often do we not allow him to be in it? How often do we get our plan together of what we're going to do and we say, all right, God, bless it. But that's not what, that's how it works, is it? God wants us to come to him first. Is this a repeat of what I shared a while ago? Yeah, it is. Why? Because we need to be reminded. We need to remember it because it's so easy, even for myself, even for myself, for me to just continually be reminded that God has to come first. Is the work that we're doing today, is it what God has called us to? Or is it just a good idea that I came up with? That's what we have to make sure we understand. And I think that's why Nehemiah repeats it. Chapter 3 really details uh, that the amount of work needed to be done and uh, the number of people it needed to complete the task was enormous. What did we say? We said, it was, we said it was 42 sections of wall. 42 sections, 10 gates, 2 miles, enclosing 90 acres. Just think about the feeling that when you read that, you go, that's a lot of work. From a group of people that felt like they had been defeated, that the world around them thought they were losers. Just imagine the way that felt when they first started. It had to be absolutely overwhelming. 
And I imagine this is part of why the work was not completed previously. Now, we know that there were those that had opposed the Jews from trying to build the wall. But those within the city, they could have done little bits here and there. But they looked at it and said, it's just so big. How are we going to get it all done? This is a reality that we see right here. That the bigger the vision, the more effort needed to accomplish it. In our own life, in our church, in our word, in our world. I'll never forget a sermon that I heard several years ago. It was from Tommy Barnett. Tommy Barnett was the senior pastor of uh, Phoenix First Assembly of God out in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, now his son, uh, Luke, is the lead pastor. Tommy is still the senior pastor. Um, about six years ago, Tommy had a heart attack, and so Luke stepped in. But I was sitting in a, uh, a it was actually at a general council, which is the uh, every other year business meeting for the Assemblies of God, and Tommy's talking about ministers being burned out. You've probably heard that before from, from pastors or people. They say, I'm burned out. I just, I need a break. I'm overwhelmed. I'm bur-. And here's what Tommy said. Now, Tommy Barnett is a man of great vision. That church in, in Phoenix is an amazing church. You've, you've heard of the Dream Center. Tommy was the, the beginner, the start of the Dream Center. Amazing work. He, they, they've just done amazing things. And Tommy told a group of ministers, a group of pastors sitting there, and he goes, the reason you get burned out is because your vision is too small. And you, that sounds a little, like a little backwards, doesn't it? He goes, it's too small? You, you don't you mean it's too big? I get overwhelmed. I get... He goes, no, your, your vision is too small because you don't see how the work you do here impacts the kingdom beyond where you're at. You think that it only matters here, but it matters for the whole kingdom of God. You get burned out because you only focus on your needs and your spot, and your vision is too small, so you don't see how what you're doing impacts the bigger kingdom of God. And I think many of us have that same mindset that we only focus on what we're doing here, what's happening in my life here, what's happening in me, and we miss what is God doing in me so that I can impact others. What does it take for us to broaden our vision beyond just the wall in front of us. Now, clearly, people looked at the task of rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and saw it as overwhelming. And uh, because of that, we actually see how people deal with big visions. They're scary sometimes. They're scary sometimes when you see big visions. But Nehemiah encountered three different groups of people. He encountered three different groups of people in this. And here's here's the reality as we look at visions. And when I'm talking about a vision, I want you to understand this. I'm really talking about purpose. I'm not just talking about purpose within our church. I'm talking about purpose within your own life. Because God gives us individual visions and purpose. He gives us corporate visions and purpose. And so when I talk about this, I'm not just talking about in our church, but I'm talking about in your life And when faced with a big vision, here's the the, the first thing I think we can pick out from uh, the verse here, the the chapter. If we look at uh, Nehemiah 3, verse 5, it says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. 
Nope, I'm not helping to rebuild the wall. I'm not helping. I know it'll protect us. I know it's going to help us, but I'm not going to do it. And the reality is not everyone will do the work, even if it is for their own benefit. How many of you have ever ignored your doctor's orders? <laughs> your doctor told you to do something? You're like, nah, you know, what's he know? Just gone to medical school. I know better. I had a, had a conversation with that in uh, one of my leadership classes I was teaching at a college in Virginia. And uh, the, the lady was talking about how she loves fried chicken. And she goes, my doctor told me I shouldn't eat it anymore because I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to a bypass surgery. And I'm like, do you think that's a good idea? I love fried chicken. Well, sure. But do you love fried chicken enough to let it kill you? But how many times have we continued to do something knowing it's not good for us. Even when God gives us a purpose for us as a church, us as individuals, you know the reality is that not everyone's going to do the work, even if it benefits them. Repairing the wall was not just a benefit to some, it was a benefit to everyone. But still, some wouldn't do the work. Yeah, it's the same in our own lives, like I said. We don't follow God's word. We allow negative people to influence our decisions. We do things that we know are harmful to ourselves. And it's not the life that God has called us to. But we keep on doing it because it's familiar and comfortable. The question is, what are we allowing in our lives that prevents us from grabbing onto the purpose that God has called us to? Sometimes it's like we're the nobles from Tekoa. We don't want to put our shoulders into the work because it's going to be a lot of effort. You know, it's actually illustrated again in verse 12. If you look at chapter 3, verse 12, um, it's an interesting note here. Uh, and I, I, when I first read this, I thought something different was being said. But if you look at verse 12, it says, Shalom, son of Halush, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. With the help of his daughters. Now understand this. When the Bible mentions women, it is something of significance to pay attention to. Because women were not highly valued in the culture. Now, the word of God continues to elevate the value of women. Okay? And so, uh, understand, this is not a biblical concept to not value women. It is a cultural concept. And so when women were mentioned here, I'm thinking, wow, this must speak to the significance of the work. But it doesn't. As I was studying about it, the reason it's so significant that it mentioned the daughters of Shalom, the reason they were mentioned is because he could not get enough workers from his province to do the work. And so he went to a place where no one else would go to. He didn't want the vision to fail. He didn't want the vision to fall short. He wanted to contribute to the vision. And so what he did is he went and got his daughters to work. It really, he had to do something unusual. He had to do something creative. He had to do something that was not culturally acceptable in order to accomplish the work that God had called him to. And this is something that we have to remember for our own lives, that accomplishing God's vision and calling will take all your resources. It will take everything that you have. We cannot hold back. If anything, we need to be like Barak, 
who we see in verse 20. If we look at verse 20, we see the effort that's put in by Barak. It says, next to him, Barak zealously repaired another section. Barak, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section. That's why when we look at this, we see 42 sections of wall, but only 41 groups. Because one section was repaired by a group that had already done another section. They dove into the work with such energy and vigor that they doubled the work of other people. You know, it's, a, it's, it's like a reminder I get from a, a great source of wisdom, a great sage that I know, my father-in-law. He has a great saying. We, we give him a hard time about it all the time. Uh, but here's what my father-in-law says. He says, if we're going to do it, then let's do it. John Lee, my father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. I really do. I pick on, I'll pick on people anyway, but I pick on my dad. I pick on my father-in-law. Just, if I pick on you, it's because I like you. Uh, so congratulations. Um, but here's the thing. There's people that aren't going to participate in the work that God's doing. They're going to let it just pass them on by in their own lives and in the church. Then there's going to be people that they jump in with both feet. But the thing is, if we want to see God's success in our lives, then we have to do it. If we're going to do it, then let's do it. Let's not play around. You know, you, too often we poke around the edges and don't commit to the task at hand. We just kind of play around a little bit. We don't really jump into it. And this is a little uncomfortable to hear this. But what did Pastor Joe say last week? That God specializes in moving believers out of their comfort zone. And so I hope it makes you a little uncomfortable. And I hope it actually makes you evaluate what am I holding back from God? What is God trying to accomplish in me so he can accomplish something through me? Or am I just playing at this? When we give a half-hearted effort, we might keep up appearances. We don't really throw ourselves into it. What does it take to accomplish the call of God? We have to be like Shalom. It takes everything we have. We can't just hold parts back from God and expect everything is going to just work out. So looking at chapter 3, we actually see three kinds of people that Nehemiah ran into in the process. Barak and the man of, uh, of Tekoa did double the work of others. They were starters. The three people that Nehemiah ran into, the first one, they were starters. The work started and they said, all right, let's go do it. Barak and the man of Tekoa, why were they able to repair two sections of the wall? Because as soon as the work started, they jumped in and they did it. In every effort that we do, we're going to have people that they are first on, boom, let's get the work done. They hear the vision, they hear the call, they hear the purpose, and they say, let's get going. I love starters. It's easier to pull somebody back than to push them forward. Starters are ready to run. They're ready to go. 
They feel the call that God has put in their life, and they go with it. The second group of people that Nehemiah ran into, I found it real interesting. It's in, it's in verse 28. Here's what it says. It says, above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. The priests made repairs, each in front of their own house. They represent the second group. They're the joiners. The work had started. And so they said, well, maybe we should do something too. And they jumped in and repaired the section of wall in front of their house. So here's, here's what it means. It means that they had lived in those houses quite content to have the wall destroyed in front of them. They probably looked across the street periodically and said, you know, somebody should do something about that. Here's a problem. Somebody should fix that. Here's a problem. Well, who's going to do something about this? But when the work started on the rest of the wall, what did the priests do? Oh, maybe I should fix it. They joined in the work that God was doing, which is good. But here's the thing I'm, I want to tell you. When you have this moment where you think someone should do something about it, I want to tell you this. Maybe that someone is you. Maybe that someone is you. Too often we sit around waiting for a, a white knight on a big white horse to come and rescue us and save us. But God does great things with ordinary people every day. He uses ordinary people like we had that word about Peter. Ordinary people, regular people, people like me people like you. I have no superpowers except playing racquetball. I'm good at racquetball. Outside of that, God uses us to do great things. Maybe the somebody that should do something is you. One of my Bible college professors, Doug Lohman, he was the, uh, the fastest, the, he was the fastest talker on the face of the planet. The, this professor, he would actually start walking, he would walk into the room and begin the lecture as soon as he walked into the room. Hadn't put down anything, nothing up. He would start talking. You had to start writing, and you, you would not stop writing until class was over. But here was one of the most, th most important things he ever said. I, I, I took two different classes with him, and this is, the, this, this is the one thing that stuck out of two different classes. Sometimes the way God speaks to us is just with a need. The voice of God oftentimes is just the need around us. And when we see a need, we can wait for somebody to fix it, or we can join in the work and do something. The final group that Nehemiah encountered, they are, they're actually in your Bible and in my Bible, they're not actually in chapter 3. Now, in the original Hebrew Bible, Chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3, were in chapter 3. As verses, what, that would have been verses 33, 34, and 35. And so when the Christians rewrote, the, not rewrote the Bible, <laughs> reordered verses and stuff, they put a different chapter marker. How many of you know that when the Bible is written, the chapter markers were not originally there, right? Okay, so here's the third group that he ran into. When Sambalot heard they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry 
and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. The third group that Nehemiah ran into were the complainers. They opposed the work. For whatever reason, they didn't want the vision to go forward. Maybe they thought that the Jews were destined to be defeated. Maybe they were scared that the Jews being successful would limit their success. You know, we serve a God of abundance. The success of another Christian is something to be celebrated, not jealous of. Because God is a God of abundance. And a poverty mindset says somebody else's success limits my success. But a a mindset of abundance and generosity says somebody else's success is something else I can experience too. Because my God can meet all of my needs. But here's the thing. We'll all encounter these kinds of people. We may be one of these kinds of people. We might be a starter that jumps in with both feet. We might be a joiner that waits for the ball to get rolling. And then here's the the fact. We might be a complainer that opposes something new. Just because it takes us out of our comfort zone. You know, when they rebuilt the wall, They've done enough archaeological studies to understand this, that Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, but he didn't rebuild it exactly like it was before. There were parts that were moved, shortened, lengthened, adjusted. He rebuilt the wall, but it wasn't exactly like it was before. So the question is, which one are you? Let's go back to the generals, the Washington generals. You know, in 1971, the Globetrotters actually lost a game to the generals. Uh, But everyone was absolutely shocked. Why? Why were they shocked? Because everyone expected the generals to lose. Because that's what they always did. The Globetrotters expected them to lose. The crowd expected them to lose. The generals expected themselves to lose. But they played to win. But in one game, the Globetrotters spent too much time playing around with the ball. And not enough time watching the score. And it came down to the last four minutes of the game. And the Globetrotters were down by 12 points. They had to really focus and quit playing with their fun way of playing basketball. And get serious. But in the end, they came up short. The final score was 101 to 100. The generals had won. Nobody thought they could. Nobody thought they would. Nobody thought the effort would be successful. Much like people looking around at Israel trying to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Maybe like your friends or your family looking at you when you try and do something new. When you try and change the trajectory of your life. Maybe people, the way people look at our church sometimes. We've faced some significant challenges over the years, haven't we? 
how many times we can look back and say, I remember when it used to be like this. And we can rejoice with all the things that God has done. But history can either be a foundation that we build on or an anchor that holds us back. Here is one of the biggest lessons from Nehemiah chapter 3. Once the vision is given, the work has to start. And the bigger the vision, the more effort that it's going to take to accomplish it. The vision of God is given so that we can move forward in our personal life and our church. The purpose of God is given for us to move forward. What is the vision he's calling you to? And then the last question I have for you. How are you going to respond?